Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. After a busy week pounding the aisles at Highways UK, we're back in the studio again for this week's Highways Voices, but we're still staying active. Some of those schemes needed to come out because they were not well thought through. Others came out because the authorities in question had not managed to handle their dialogue with stakeholders in such a way as to achieve a degree of acceptance or consensus concerning the the value or the need for the schemes in question. The future of active travel and how it's all funded is the subject on today's Highways Voices as we speak to the author of a key report into the subject. Let's talk funding cycles and more on this week's Highways Voices. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Welcome to today's podcast with me, Paul Hutton, and fellow co-owner of Highways News, Adrian Tatum. Highways News is, of course, the only place you need to go for everything you need to know, well, when it comes to highways and transport, that is, and we'll hear from our guest Tom Cohen of the University of Westminster, who wrote a report for the all-party parliamentary group for cycling and walking on the future of active travel. We'll hear from Tom in a moment, but before we can do that, we need to chat to Adrian Tatum about the top stories he spotted on Highways News this week. Adrian, how are you doing? Yes, I'm good, thanks, Paul. So, the big story this week, Greater Manchester has set out a new ambition to become the first city region to develop a carbon neutral transport network. This is according to Mayor Andy Burnham and the Transport Commissioner Chris Boardman. Under the plans, the city region's bus fleet will be 50% electric by 2027 and 100% electric within the decade, a move that would reduce carbon emissions by 1.1 million tonnes. The Greater Manchester Ring and Ride fleet will also transition to zero emission technology by 2027. National Highways has awarded more than 420,000 to 13 natural flood management projects. It comes as the international community at the UN Climate Change Conference COP26 celebrated Nature Day this week, devoted to ensuring the importance of nature and sustainable land use as part of the global action on climate change. Also in Scotland, Como UK, the shared mobility charity, has launched an online toolkit for transport professionals and communities interested in setting up mobility hubs in Scotland. The charity has created the free guide with the aim of driving the creation of more sustainable transport options in the future. Other stories I really like, Adrian, the Ford executive who's saying your car won't just be for travel, but could be a home entertainment studio, a gaming platform or a conference room. Takes me back to when I sat in a stationary Audi a couple of years ago at the Consumer Electronics Show and watched bits of Marvel films when the car acted like a 4K cinema so the suspension bounced around. The blowers hit me with hot air as explosions filled the screen and the seat got hotter and colder. So that's the sort of thing that Ford seemed to be thinking is the uh, future of vehicles. Elsewhere, Teletrack Navman have provided a new road safety dashboard and there's a warning about the safety of London's bridges. Well, you can also find a link to the highlights video I made of the JCT Traffic Signals Symposium, which was such a great show back in September. And we've also got the world's oldest connection 
connected cars. I followed three vehicles from the turn of the 20th century, travel from London to Brighton, all kitted out with navigation and information apps, complete with in-vehicle signage. Look out for a video about that in the next few days here on Highways News, and you'll see all about it in our daily email, which you can sign up for on the Highways News website. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. A few weeks ago, there was a call for local authorities to be given a five-year funding settlement to help support future investment and planning for active travel. The all-party parliamentary group for cycling and walking said a funding horizon of five years is optimal long enough to enable transport and highways authorities to build teams and manage programmes successfully and at the same time give central government fiscal control. Now, in the report reaching out our active travel potential, the group reported that witnesses it spoke to mentioned National Highways and Network Rail as two organisations that have benefited from the certainty of such a funding arrangement. The report also calls for the introduction of a new Highways Act, national active travel targets consistent with net zero, transport and highways authorities to negotiate local targets consistent with national targets, local cycling and walking infrastructure plans and central government to support transport and highways authorities in rapidly acquiring skills and capacity. Now, since I did all the work at Highways UK last week, I left it up to Adrian to speak to report author Tom Cohen of the University of Westminster, and he asked him what he thought the priorities are. Well, I suppose the political answer would be all of them, though I think a more realistic answer would be that we need to sort out the money and the way the money works and a great deal of other things that are mentioned in the recommendations would probably then happen almost as a matter of course. So that suggests that the recommendation relating to a significant increase in the sum available to transport and highway authorities and relating to the way in which that money is doled out. So giving them confidence that they have five years of certainty about the sum available and therefore don't need to worry about where the next check is coming from because that came through loud and clear in the evidence we received. People were saying that it was just too difficult to deliver a coherent programme when there was no certainty as to where the next stream of money was coming from, if at all. One of the things that stood out for me in the report was was a call for a five-year settlement for councils to be able to plan and deliver more active travel. This is, of course, matches what what those representing local authorities on on a kind of more general highways level are are looking for. They're looking for a kind of five-year settlement deal to do lots of work across roads what, what led the group to thinking that 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 this was kind of on, on the right lines for for what was needed for active travel this was a point on which there was near unanimity amongst the people who gave evidence for example i remember i interviewed the chief executive of the national infrastructure commission they gave written evidence and they were unable to participate in our hearings but i did have a chat with him separately and he said that everything that they were learning from their work suggested that five years was the optimal period long enough that it gave authorities the confidence to do what they needed to do, to build teams, to plan with certainty about what they would be able to deliver, but not so long as to strap central government into an unmanageably demanding relationship. So I suppose there is no magic number, but it was surprising how everyone had decided that five years appeared to be the best bet. And that may simply be that it has been said sufficiently amongst those involved that it's almost become a mantra. But it does make a degree of sense, I think. An awful lot of other stuff in the way 
government works has roughly that same time scale and the comprehensive spending review would tend to have that same time scale as well so there's a harmony amongst various aspects of the way government does its work that would make this consistent with that another important recommendation that came from the report was the call for a new highway act to be established is there any specifics that those who gave evidence and obviously the group themselves would like to see in it to really make a difference for active travel? Yes, this one is a rather easier one to explain because that came from a specific person, Phil Jones, the chair of Phil Jones Associates, who is a highly respected and well-known player in the world of active travel. And he called for it and he has been known to say this previously, so it wasn't the first time it had been heard from him, but he submitted evidence which was in effect two pages saying we need a new Highways Act because... And whilst he didn't go into a great deal of detail as to what the Highways Act would do, his reason for thinking it was necessary was that at the moment, highways authorities are under very few duties. They have to enable traffic to flow, and beyond that, not very much. And in particular, in the case of active travel, they have almost no responsibilities. And he thought that that was wrong, and he saw the Highways Act as being a way of dealing with it. The point being that the last Highways Act was produced in, I think, 1980. So it's been a while. But I think the fact that it's been that long is less important than it would be a way of addressing what he saw as a significant deficiency. And the all-party parliamentary group was sympathetic. I suppose I could go on to say that we struggled with this question of whether we should limit ourselves to issues of investment, because the inquiry was originally motivated by the expectation that the second version of the cycling and walking investment strategy was going to emerge. And therefore, if we had been working to rule, we might have said, well, this isn't strictly speaking about investment, so welcome and interesting as it is, it perhaps doesn't belong in our recommendations. But the more we looked at the evidence we were receiving and the more we realised how things are interconnected, the more we felt it just wasn't feasible, really tenable, to concentrate exclusively on issues of investment. And we had to go beyond and talk about the governance structures surrounding that investment because they're crucial to whether the money will have the desired effect. So that's the the logic behind the Highways Act. The the way we characterise it in the recommendations was that it would need to impose upon highways authorities a requirement to act in accordance with the imperatives of the time notably climate change and public health. And there would be an expectation that authorities would, whenever taking action on the highway network, always be looking to improve, if at all possible, the arrangements for active travel, and at the very least not to make them any worse. And also the the report calls for a statutory uh, active travel plan. Would this mean that effectively every local authority would have some sort of certainty funding before they produce one would you know before they put their time and effort and resources into doing so is that kind of how you see it playing out we were aware that an awful lot of authorities probably the majority are in a very difficult situation in terms of resources and so to impose upon them a requirement to start developing elaborate plans without the resources would be harsh so one of the things we recommended was for central government to give a cash injection just to get all of these authorities started on the way to being more concerted in their approach to active travel. But yes, 
in answer to your question, there is this expectation that all transport and highway authorities would know that they had a sum of money coming their way. And then there would be an iteration. So a process by which there would initially be some draft targets, as in for a given authority, what they might be expected to be able to achieve in terms of growth in walking, cycling, and other forms of active travel. That would then be connected up to a presumed sum of money. And then the final piece of the jigsaw would be this active travel plan, which would set out in detail exactly what the authority was planning to do and would connect that with the money available and with the likely growth that would be achieved. And as I say, it would be iterative. So there would be draft numbers at first, and then there would be a process of negotiation involving the authority and Active Travel England, arriving, it is hoped, at a settlement which is acceptable to all and which would be consistent with national level targets. So every authority is playing its part in achieving the growth that's necessary. And what about the uh, the standard for active travel that's suggested in, in the report as well as being central to development plans here? What, what, what needs to be included in that standard to make it effective, you think? If we're talking about land use plans, uh, I suppose the first thing is to say that we saw a really important role for Active Travel England in affecting positively land use planning. That's both calling out bad ideas so that they didn't get built without being mended. We have a very unfortunate track record in this country of developing particularly housing, but not only housing, which is car dependent, poorly connected to other networks and in particular active travel. So the idea there was that Active Travel England would play a really quite important and forceful role in driving towards good development that would be five star, if you like, in the sense of providing for active travel. And that's already foreseen. Uh, It appeared in gear change, but we were simply suggesting that it ought to have even more teeth and that Active Travel England wouldn't simply be a statutory consultee, which is what gear change proposed, but would be able to refer proposals to the Secretary of State where they were found to be seriously wanting in terms of active travel. And I think it's important to say that we would hope that this would actually manifest itself in a much more positive sense, that Active Travel England would be helping developers and planning authorities to arrive at really good and positive plans. So it wouldn't be about beating them with a stick. There's a a wider question about enabling authorities to seek and hopefully attain a standard of excellence in active travel. And this would be slightly different. This would be something that would be managed by Active Travel England and a given authority would be able to put itself forward to be recognised as meeting the quality standard for active travel. Largely intended to act as a way of recognising excellence and providing an incentive to those that were looking to improve to have a path towards improvement and in due course recognition for their work too. So this it's... That's probably worth drawing a distinction here between the quality standard that we recommended for Active Travel England and standards relating to, for example, designing for um, pedestrians and other users of the pedestrian environment, and equally standards relating to engagement and inclusion, all of which we felt had something to offer in terms of ensuring that things were done to a high standard. 
but the the quality mark if you want to call it that for doing good active travel work was more about a badge of recognition than something which authorities would be expected to meet in order to be able to do their work so it's it's there to allow the really strong performers to be recognized for being strong performers and to enable their really good examples to be taken up elsewhere and all of this will only be possible if, as the report says, long-term stable funding can be delivered. Can it, do we think? We certainly think it can. And I think I would probably answer yes to the first part of your question, in that all of the things that we envisaged in this report are ambitious, and it is hard to see how they would happen without serious money offered in a concerted way so that authorities have the confidence to build teams and press on with testing themselves to do really good work in active travel. And yes, it can be done. And we had the examples of Network Rail and what is now National Highways as organisations that have been able to establish a much more productive relationship with central government, including funding settlements that have a decent timescale associated with them, thereby giving these organisations confidence. We're not suggesting that individual local authorities would need to become arm's length bodies in the sense that those two organisations have. Although it might make sense for Active Travel England to have that status, that's a somewhat separate issue. Yes, government has proved that it can put serious money into something and to give that money with the degree of confidence that will enable the recipients to do their work. So the precedents are there. And perhaps what would need to change is for government to become more confident about giving money to local government. Central government hasn't of late been that keen to invest in a predictable and committed way where local government is concerned. So that's perhaps where real change needs to be seen. And and finally, we've seen obviously a massive uptake in, in active travel, partly partly driven by the pandemic. But the downside, I guess, has been some of the criticism around temporary cycleways and the fact that they've gone in and been ripped up again. Is the future about turning temporary into permanent or, or do we need something else to get the public on side still? I think it remains to be seen. A great deal has been learned from what happened in the pandemic and some authorities did rather better than others in terms of planning, communication, engagement and delivery. And so, as you mentioned, some schemes were ripped out And some of those schemes needed to come out because they were not well thought through. Others came out because the authorities in question had not managed to handle their dialogue with stakeholders in such a way as to achieve a degree of acceptance or consensus concerning the the value or the need for the schemes in question. But I think, and this is a personal opinion, experimentation has a lot to offer. So experimental traffic orders don't need to be the devil, but they need to be handled really well. And that means a certain amount of engagement before anything is delivered, possibly even going so far as co-design, such that the people who are going to be affected by these interventions don't suddenly find that these things are landed on them without announcement or negotiation. So I see putting things in on an experimental basis as being potentially very powerful. And if these experiments are seen to work, then what started out as an experiment can be made permanent. And I think there's plenty of evidence that that will happen quite satisfactorily at lots of different levels and in different ways. But yes, the general theme is 
to ensure that authorities handle the design and the consultation and engagement process with the requisite care, put the necessary resources into it. And that's something which features amongst our recommendations. These things cannot be rushed. And I suppose that's the other lesson to take from the pandemic. There were good reasons to do things in a real hurry at a certain point in 2020. But it turns out that people did them in too much of a hurry, even so. And the government saw that and changed its line. And local authorities, unfortunately, many of them got their fingers burnt. So I think we can definitely learn lessons from that. But yeah, experiment has its place. Doing it properly, by which I mean involving all stakeholders meaningfully in the discussion, is the best way of ensuring that it doesn't become toxic down the line. Some really interesting and important stuff from Tom Cohen there, another key thought leader joining us on Highways Voices. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. Well, we're nearly out of time, but before we go, let's get Adrian back again. Having done the interview with Tom and all the news at the top, it's time for the big moment in the programme. It's time for Adrian's accolade. And Adrian, who's your winner this week? Well, the winner this week is the Reese Jeffries Road Fund and their trustees who have announced they'll be running a transport master's bursary program for 2022-23. So not only uh, has this organisation launched a £150,000 competition recently to drive innovation in the industry, it's now looking at skills and the type of people that we need in our industry as obviously transport changes massively at a very fast rate. So the trustees are hoping to encourage more applications to study for a transport related masters, both from people who are new to the sector, but also people that are currently employed in the sector and may wish to add their professional skills or knowledge. So both of those will be really good things. And that's the reason why they're my um, accolade this week. Thank you very much, Adrian. We will talk again here on Highways Voices next week. And of course, you'll be uh, filling our inboxes with large amounts of news stories every day on the highways-news.com website. So congratulations to the Reese Jeffries Road Fund for winning Adrian's accolade this week. And that's it from this week's Highways Voices. Now, a new book's been written called Transport for Humans. Are we nearly there yet by behavioural experts Pete Dyson and Rory Sutherland and all things being equal Rory will be my guest on next week's podcast he's an absolutely fantastic speaker so you really won't want to miss that let's talk again next Wednesday Highways Voices join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry 